Uh, I want to begin this series and want to begin Advent uh, with a pastoral confession. And that is for myself and for all pastors. So this is a confession on behalf of all pastors. Uh, Christmas and Advent are really, really hard. <laughs> At least for pastors. Uh, and that's not just because it's a really busy time of the year, but it's because every year, products that are promoted around Christmas, uh, so things get fancier and better and faster, and every year it seems the hype comes earlier about Christmas, and everything kind of gets churned up, the hype gets churned up, and every year then I feel the pressure, and along with other pastors, to keep up, and to make the Christmas story better and better. Are you with me? Uh, so there's this pressure to kind of keep outdoing ourselves as a church uh, every year, uh, doing more than we did the year before. So feeling this pressure through the years, um, we've tried all kinds of things uh, to make Christmas shinier, to make Christmas brighter than it was the year before. Uh, even several years ago, we tried this thing called Cosmic Christmas. Uh, some of you were here for that, uh, where I spoke from Revelation chapter 12 for Christmas. Uh, and already that sounds like a bad idea, but Revelation chapter 12, like looking back, it's just like if only my older self had tone, told my younger self. But it sounds bad enough, but Revelation chapter 12 is this nice kind of warm, fuzzy passage where an enormous red dragon with 12 heads tries to swallow the Christ child just as he's coming out of the birth canal. So just like light, <laughs> devotional, kind of Christmas time reading. And so in an effort to try to make things bigger, better, more awesomer, right? Then last year, we, I, I, we did Cosmic Christmas, Revelation chapter 12. We did it like in three acts where there was like a reading and then some music and then a reflection and we were all kind of like focused on this dragon and it was as weird as it sounds. <laughs> and that year, I learned a lesson, a very important lesson, and that is that it's not my job uh, to make Jesus shinier or brighter than he was last year, but rather the Christmas story itself, the story of God become flesh, is filled with enough awe, enough wonder, and enough mystery to last all of time. It is truly a timeless story. And this story of God become flesh is so profound and the waiting of Advent still so relevant, even in the world today, that it still inspires poets to write about it. Now poetry in our time is most often expressed in music. And so one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time was actually released just a couple of years ago. Uh, it's, it's poetic uh, and when it's put to music it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it's a song called Gloria by an artist named Josh Garrels. Uh, Josh Garrels is a little bit like black licorice. You either love him or you hate him. Uh, his voice is so unique that you either are instantly in love or you're just like, turn this off, I can't stand it. Um, but but I, I do, so I won't play it for you for fear of alienating half of you. Uh, but but I, will, I, I will share with you the lyrics because I think they're so powerful and just kind of capturing the season. Uh, it says this, it says, hear the sound of bells ring. In the cold night air we sing songs of joy, peace, and love. Say good night and journey home through the leafless woods alone. Silence in the snow is like a dream. Diamonds on the hill reflect the thrill of all the glory that has fallen to the earth. And all of life is surrendering to the death that winter brings in hope of new life. On this holy night, this holy night, we remember Christ. 
So come in from the cold, come and rest your soul. Join us by the fire. For tonight the story is told, ancient but never old, of when the Savior came. That's my favorite lyric of the song. Tonight the story's told, it's ancient, but it's never old, of when the Savior came. All the angels sing, uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men, a child has been born, and all of us are suffering beneath the weight of death and sin in hope of new life. But all our hopes are made good in Christ. On this holy night, this holy night, we worship Christ. Isn't that a cool song? It's a cool poem, right? It's like this, this season of the year inspires poetry. Here's a song that was actually just released uh, this year called Baby Son by another one of my favorite artists, John Mark McMillan. And I promise the sermon is not just telling you song lyrics. But it says this, we thought you'd come with a crown of gold, a string of pearls and a cashmere robe. We thought you'd clinch an iron fist and rain like fire on politics. But without a sword, no armor guard, but common born in mother's arms. The government now rests upon the shoulders of this baby son. Have you no room inside your heart? The in is full, the out is dark. Upon profane shines sacred sun, not ashamed to be one of us. Gloria, Allelu, Christ the Lord, we've longed for you. The point I'm trying to make is that this story the story of Advent, the story of Christmas, has enough awe and wonder that after thousands of years to still inspire the prophets and the poets of our day to sing and make art about this wonderful mystery. And so I've come to see that my role is simply to be faithful in telling the wonderful story of the incarnation. Because the reality is, is we need that reminder, even every year we need the reminder of the beauty of this season and the beauty of the truth of this season because it's easy to miss. I wonder how many of us, instead of experiencing the awe, the wonder, the beauty of the birth of Christ, instead experience overstuffed Decembers that leave us tired and feeling as though we have missed something. It's all too common for Advent and Christmas to pass by like a blizzard, blinding us to the meaning of it all. And so during Advent, we're gonna be doing a series called Advent Conspiracy, uh, where we're going to be talking about, uh, well, we've been talking about for a number of weeks kind of what Advent Conspiracy is, that it's about doing Christmas differently. It's about living into uh, different tenets of Christmas, of of, of not getting so caught up in the consumeristic and the materialistic things of the season, but instead really making Christmas meaningful again and doing that by, by worshiping fully, by spending less, by giving more, by loving all and trying to capture the ways in which that the very first Christmas changed the world and Christmas can go on changing the world, right? Uh, so we've been talking about that, and we're gonna continue talking about that during this series. But my whole goal for the series is this. My whole goal is to very practically give you tools so that you won't miss Christmas. So a lot of times we do some heavy-hitting theological stuff in this church, right? And you guys are like, oh man, we gotta try to handle this. this. This series is all about practical ways to not miss Christmas. Sounds pretty cool, right? Uh, so we're gonna look at these four themes, worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. 
And my hope is that in exploring these themes, we'll be inspired to see with fresh perspective the beauty of the season. And my hope is that our focus uh, will be pulled to the God who loves us so much that he would become flesh. Uh, And so I hope that you'll be challenged and inspired during this season uh, to make sure that the center of your Advent and the center of your Christmas is celebrations of Christ. Uh, So let's look at this morning, let's look at the first theme, which is worship fully. And to do that, I want to consider the story of the mother of Jesus, Mary. Now, Mary was a teenage girl. She lived in a forgotten edge of the Roman Empire. Uh, She was just another peasant girl, as really as common and as powerless as they come. And yet, God gave her an invitation to be part of the greatest story ever told. And I think that I could just stop there and preach that point, right? That someone as as common and as powerless who lived in a nowhere town on the edge of the Roman Empire was invited into God's story. That that alone, that in and of itself, begins to speak to us, that in the moments when we feel that we're just kind of nobodies, that we're powerless, we have no influence, and all this kind of stuff, that God still invites us to join something that is larger and bigger than ourselves. In fact, Mary's part of the Christmas story is as simple as it is inspiring. That after learning that she will carry the baby Jesus, a baby named Jesus, she actually joins the tradition of ancient prophets and poets and modern singer and songwriters, and she composes a song. Have you caught this? See, typically we start the Christmas story in Luke chapter two, but in Luke chapter one, is the story of Mary finding out that she's going to to give birth to Jesus, and in response, she sings a song. And it's known as the Magnificat. And I wanna read it to you today. It's found in Luke chapter one, verses 46 through 55. It says this, it'll be up on the screens, you can follow along. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. But he has lifted up the humble He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to to be merciful and to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. This is Mary's song, her poem. And Mary's song is known as the Magnificat because in it she magnifies God. She worships him because of his great love and his plan to redeem the oppressed. Now we need to admit something out loud today, that while we are all in need of redemption and we are all in need of the restoration of all things, let's get something straight. (laughs) If you slept in the safety and warmth of your own home, or apartment, if you drove to church today in one of your two or three cars that you own, if you stopped in to get a coffee on your way, then we, and that is we, I'm including myself in this, are not the humble, 
that are to be lifted up by God of which Mary speaks. We are the powerful, the rich, and the largely self-absorbed. Right? There are hundreds of millions of people in our world that live without access to clean water, a problem that we are helping to solve through Advent Conspiracy. There are millions without housing, millions who are hungry, millions who don't have access to good education, millions who, because of things that are beyond their control, have been counted out. These are the humble to whom Mary promises deliverance, that through the baby that is growing in her womb, a new way will open up, a new kingdom established, and a true humanity put on display for the salvation of all who will call on his name, that the birth of baby Jesus is the beginning of the end for injustice. Did you hear that? That the birth of the baby Jesus is the beginning of the end for injustice. Now this salvation, as we can properly call it, is in fact for the privileged and for the poor. And that's a part of the the, the kind of sense that Mary is trying to get across in her song, that this is not just good news for those who are at the top, but this is good news for everyone. That even the humble, even the marginalized, even those who are forgotten by society will be lifted up. And so it's not saying, oh, shame on you if you have all of these things, but rather it's a way of saying that, that Mary kind of has this, this realization that as she's been invited into the story of what God is doing in the world, that this is going to be good news truly to all people, right? It's this beautiful and profound song that she sings. And I, and I love that having some sense of what God is up to, that Mary decides to worship God with a song. I love music. I'm not doing anything in my day when I'm not listening to music. And that maybe is a little bit of an overstatement, but not much. There is either a music or a podcast going on at some point in my day, right? Now, if I'm interacting with you personally, I'm not listening to a song, right? I'm not like a one earphone kind of guy and I've got one earphone to you. But if, I, if I'm by myself, there is something going on. I'm, I'm listening to music, because I love music. Only recently have I tried or attempted to become a musician. <laughs> Uh, but music has always been a central part of my life. And so when Mary responds to God with a song, there's something in me that resonates about that. And it's a song that inspires hope. Did you catch it? He, she, she says that God is going to extend mercy to those who fear him from generation to generation. In other words, the vision of the song goes beyond just her own experience and her own generation, but rather to the hope of God's mercy that extends backwards and extends forward. I love this song in the way that it inspires hope. I love that Mary's song isn't just about what she's doing right here and right now, but the hope that is inspired from generation to generation. I think we need to write songs with a little larger scope nowadays. The songs today tend to be this is, what, this is all about me and what I'm experiencing now. It's a song that refuses to see only the way things are and begins to see how things could be. And uh, one of those moments during my week when I wasn't listening to music and I was listening to a podcast, I heard, I heard somebody say that one of the things that the people of God need now more than ever 
is, is the expansion of our moral imagination. In other words, we need to learn to see the world through the lens of what could be, not just what is. And I think that's right. That, that we need to learn to see things. Brought down rulers, he has lifted up the humble, he has filled the hungry with good things, that the rich have been sent away empty. And it isn't that Mary is convinced that all of these things have already taken place, it's just that in light of the child that is growing inside of her, she sees the world as it one day could be and will be. And as such, this song inspires hope and motivates us to live in anticipation of that day. It's a perfect kind of text for Advent because it calls us to this sense of anticipation. And so here's, here's what I wanna do is here's the practical part. Um, if you love music like me, then you've probably started listening to Christmas music somewhere around Halloween. I won't ask for confessions. Uh, some of you were earlier than that. Uh, some of you are real weird and start like around June or July, right? And it's like talking about how the weather outside is frightful. Uh, and that has to be a thunderstorm, right? That kind of stuff. So uh, we, won't, we won't talk, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go to therapy later, but for now, <laughs> for now what I wanna recognize is that if you love music, uh, if you're like me, then, then you love music and, and Christmas music is just this magical thing, you've been listening to it for a long time. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Here's, here's my practical advice. In light of Mary's this Christmas, to make sure that there are songs of hope on your playlist. Christ-centered songs of hope on your Christmas playlist. That's my encouragement to you. Now there's nothing wrong with baby it's cold outside and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Uh, there's nothing wrong with those fun and catchy tunes. Uh, but I wanna make sure and encourage you that you have songs that point you to the hope of Christ. That, that point you to the inspiration of all that God is doing and has done in this season and that motivates you to begin to live in ways that according to Christ.